Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Do Follow Football Podcast where I talk to you about the goings-on in the Premier League. I'm talking Friday Night Football, Soccer Saturday, Super Sunday and Monday Night Football. We do it all. Today I'm going to be talking to you guys about this weekend's action in the Premier League. Uh, but before I do that, uh, I just want to say a massive thank you to every single one of you. From me to you, thank you so much. We've reached over a thousand followers on Twitter or X, I don't, I don't know what to call it anymore, if I'm being honest. Let me know, what do you guys call it? Do you call it Twitter, or do you call it X? Maybe, maybe I'm getting old, maybe that's why I, I can't seem to grasp the concept of X. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for that. I also had a look at the geographical location of my viewers. Those of you that know me personally will know geographical, that's a big word for me, come on. Um, but no, we've got, uh, we've got a few viewers from a few different countries, so shout out Malta, shout out India, shout out Australia, France, Singapore, Kenya... Czech Republic, the US of A, and of course, the UK. And I've had some really positive DMs on Twitter or X uh, too. So thank you so much for that. It really, really means a lot to me to be able to chat to you guys. Shout out to HS Brick on Twitter, who also sent me a really nice Chelsea edit. So yeah, go and drop him a follow, guys. And thank you as well to RS3 underscore Chelsea for shouting out the pod as well. Go and show those guys some love. But anyway, without further ado, let's get into the football. So, game week four has come and gone, guys. Last week, I did start with Chelsea. I wanted to start with us because we won. Um, but we lost this week, and I felt obligated to, to start with Chelsea again this week because we lost. You know, there's, there's no hiding. We don't, we don't hide from anything. But unfortunately, I'm, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you anything that you guys don't already know. And I'm not going to say anything that I haven't already said uh, about Chelsea. We created chances, good chances, but we just don't know how to score. And you know, Jack, Jackson is an absolute sitter. Um, I, I still I don't know how he missed it. I was talking to the guys at work and I said I, I could have banged that in. And I'm, well, I'm not even going to talk about my football ability because it's non-existent, if I'm being really honest with you. Um... But yeah, I just don't know how he missed it. He's been brilliant the past few games. Uh, his movement off the ball has been brilliant, making space for teammates. But it's all well and good making those runs and you know helping the team, which which is brilliant by the way. And he's he's had his flowers, he's had his props for it. But as a striker, you know your bread and butter is, is scoring in the back of the net. You know getting the ball in there. And you know, I think back to you know players like Didier Drogba, players like Diego Costa, and. Maybe not so much Drogba, but definitely Costa, you know, he wasn't the best technically. You know, he wasn't the most um, mobile striker. And then you think of Drogba when he got a lot older. Again, he wasn't the most mobile striker, but they'd done the business when it mattered. They scored when it mattered. I spoke uh, earlier on uh, a few episodes ago, I think it might have been the last episode, um, when Chelsea won 1-0 against well, uh, if it was West Brom or Palace, I spoke about a few years ago, and Costa scored a goal the winning goal, and we won 1-0. And that was the year that we won the league. And, you know, that goal he scored, it wasn't because of his technical ability or his forward thinking or his even his footballing IQ. It was just purely because of his strength and his power. And he was a messy guy, it was a scrappy guy. I remember it quite well, but that's what you need to do. You need to be able to score, whether they're ugly goals or they're nice goals or they're lucky goals, you know. If it comes off your foot, if it comes off your shin, your knee, even your chest, who cares? You just need to get the ball in the back of the net. And unfortunately, we're not doing that. You know, we're not doing that enough. And that's not all on Jackson. Um, but unfortunately, he's going to be the main... I don't want to use the word scapegoat, but he's going to be the guy that we all look to when we don't score goals because he is our striker. And, you know, Bro's just not even been in the squad, even for the uh, for the cup game against Wimbledon. He wasn't even in the squad, so... Doesn't look like Poch even rates him at all. Maybe Nkunku could come up uh, up top when he's back from injury. But again, I don't really think that that fixes our problems. But like I said before, and I'll say it again this week, we just don't score enough goals. And look, as a Chelsea fan, I'm aware that I have to be patient, especially with some of our injuries. But how long can we live off, you know, the players need time or Poch needs to figure out his best team? Whether we like it or not, in the Premier League, you don't have time. It's a fine margin it's such a competitive league and we've already lost ground on teams like West Ham, Brighton, United, Liverpool, let alone Man City. Even Spurs have got more fucking points than us. I'm sorry for swearing. But, you know, we've got four points from four games. It's, it's our worst start to a season since 1995. I wasn't even alive back then. Like, it's ridiculous. And we had 76% possession for what? We had 20 plus shots on goal for what? To be caught cheaply in possession in our own half and concede. 
and the defending was so bad for the goal as well. I mean, Kaiseido, I, I don't know what he's trying to do there. Like Gallagher's like, I don't even know, not even a meter. He's like he's like three yards away from him, and he tries to pass it to him. And there's two Palace players, uh, sorry, uh, two um, Palace players. What am I on about? Uh, two Forest players, just there straight. Like, I just don't know what he's doing. And then the the gap for Olanga to 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 run through. It was, you could have hit the whole backroom staff there for fuck's sake. It's embarrassing. And you know we played a back four all through preseason, and we looked great. And then first league game against Liverpool. He plays a back three or back five, however you want to call it. And then against Luton, he plays the same. And, you know, no disrespect for Luton, but we could have played any formation. Luton is shit. Like, I'm, I'm, again, I'm sorry for swearing, guys. I, I do apologise. But I, I just don't understand it. It's clear that we need to create at least five or six golden opportunities. Real clear, clear-cut, easy chances for a, a goal to be scored. Because, all, because despite all the players that we brought in this summer and January, none of them are fucking clinical. But yet we play with five defenders. You know, it's Sunday league stuff. I remember back playing Sunday league when I was like 14, 15. If you'd lose 4-0 one week, all week in training, well, I say all week, we only train once a week, but, you know, looking to the next game, your main priority is just to be tighter. You know, drop a yard, not concede as much, and, you know, be a bit more assured. And that's just basic Sunday league stuff. But yet... Looking at last season, you know, Poch is an, an idiot. He's not new to football. He, he would have known how Chelsea have played last season. He would have known our issues last season. And now going into this season, we're not scoring enough goals. And, and he wants five defenders on the pitch. I mean, Chilwell, I don't want to sit here and say, Chilwell, not a left wing, because he's been our main attacking outlet. And he's been very good. But, you know, we've played with five defenders on the pitch, a centre-back at left-back, and again, in Levi Colwell. And again, I'm not trying to dig Chilwell and Cole out. They've been brilliant, but... Simple. You've got wingers on the bench because you've got a left back at left wing. Make it make sense. I I don't understand it. Go back to a four. Get attacking players on the pitch. And if players like Chilwell and James can still bomb forward in that in that four, I'm sure they'll be able to. Levi and Fafana when he's back from injury as well. They're very athletic, very young, and you know they've they've got the pace and the. And the, and the athleticism to, you know, get across that line as well, to potentially fill in. And then you can get players like Caicedo and Lavia dropping back in the hole to, to protect that defence as well. Uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. And Poch, I hope you hear me. Change to a back four, I beg. But look, I, I do want to give credit to Forrest because, you know, two teams played that match. It wasn't just Chelsea. And regardless of Chelsea not taking their chances, Forrest took their chance. Um... I thought they were unlucky to not get anything from their last few games against you know, Man United and and Arsenal, but they deserved all three points today. We we were so easy to play against, and and that's the I think that's the main thing. It happened at West Ham. You know, West Ham knew that we were going to have a lot of the ball, and they they soaked up pressure really well. And, and that's another thing: teams can soak up pressure on us because they know that if they can see ten or eleven shots, probably only three or four of them are going to be on target, and if one results in a goal, out of very out of the ordinary, because we just we just don't we don't have that clinicalness, we don't have that that bite, that sharpness, and it's so easy to play against because, like I said, they they soak up pressure and they just hit us on a counter attack, and it's 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 just schoolboy stuff, and I just don't understand it. Like we've we've had the same problems ever since Tuchel left, you know, Graham Potter, Frank Lampard, and now Poch as three different managers. All the money we spent, and last season I can't remember the exact stats, but it it was something like seven. I think it was between six and eight changes like per games in in terms of personnel. It was the highest in the league last year. And then you look at Arsenal's last year. I believe Arsenal's was actually the lowest, something like two point one or something. And you know, one of them was because Saliba was injured, and the other, excuse me, and the other was because Gabriel was out for over half the season. You know, it doesn't matter what combination we have up there. We we just can't seem to do it, and, and it doesn't make sense because Tuchel, uh, sorry, um, Potter, Lampard, and Potter are all different managers. I'm I'm not going to get into, you know, certain managers' failures because we'll be here all day. But there's three different managers with so many different players, and yet it's the same result. It, it doesn't make sense, and you know, I I don't want to keep going on about injuries because. You know, injuries are something every team has to deal with. Like, 
You know, last season people were saying about Arsenal didn't have a lot of injuries. Yes, they had Saliba out, but that was it. And then oh, City never get injuries, people reckon, and stuff like that. But injuries, they happen. You know, sometimes you might go through a period of, I don't know, three or four games where no one even gets a knock. And then sometimes you can be a bit unlucky. Like we were a couple of years ago, we had Chilwell and James go off all in one game. But I don't want to blame injuries because, again, no disrespect to Nottingham Forest, much like against... Um, Lewin, it shouldn't really matter what kind of team we put out against these sides. We should be winning. You know, if I'm going to come on to the Man United Arsenal game later, but you know, Man United had some key players missing, and when you have key players missing, it's always going to be tough against a team like Arsenal. You know, or if they if they play Man City, you know, it's tough. But again, no disrespect, I really don't want to start you know belittling other teams here because you know I don't think it's right that you know people from top six clubs look down on on other clubs because it's not right. You know, football's football and everyone's a part of it. But we, we shouldn't be losing games like that. And it's, it's just, what's more frustrating is the same shit. And I'm, I'm sorry for swearing again, guys. But it's just the same shit regardless of of what we do. Um, I, th- I think the international break is probably coming at a good time for us. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Um, you know, we, we can have some time to, well, I say we, Poch. He can have some time to reevaluate things. Um, I'm, I think Reese is back after the international break. Uh, we've got Bournemouth, so I'm pretty sure he's back. So that'll give us a lot more stability. But I just, I just think it's time to change to a back four. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to talk about Chelsea anymore. And luckily, I don't have to worry about us for at least another 10 days. Right, now that that's out of the way, thank God. Um, on to uh, another London team who have enjoyed a great start to the season. And with lack of rice, I did think they'd be starving for points. You, you see what I did there? No? Uh, well, it, it sounded better in my head. But, um, yeah, look, West Ham made it free on the bounce at Kenilworth Road on Friday night. And I've, plays, I've praised players like Bowen and Antonio. But for me, it was all about the midfield on Friday night. They've got such a good balance with Alvarez, James Wood-Prowse and Paqueta. And whenever people have spoken about midfield this summer and at the start of the season... Everyone, and myself included, have been talking about, you know, Declan Rice at Arsenal, Caicedo and Lavia at Chelsea, uh, Casemiro at United as well, and obviously City with Rodri and KDB, Bernardo Silva. Um, but West Ham have really gone under the radar with their midfield. And, you know, that, that's where they, that, that, they won the game in midfield. The game was won in midfield for me on Friday. And speaking of the midfield, the ball for West Ham's first goal from Paqueta was sensational. Sensational! It was brilliant. I had to watch it back a few times. It was a brilliant cross um, to Bowen. But I did actually think the goalkeeper probably could have and actually should have done a lot better. It, it seemed to be headed straight at him, almost to his chest. And he, he palmed it into, into the net almost. So I think I think he'll be disappointed with that one. But... It was no goalkeeping issue for the second goal. It was more of a defence issue, really. The, it was a great header by Kurt Zuma uh, first off, and I thought he had a really good game. He really relished in the physicality of the match, and yeah, I thought he had a great game, really, really good game. But the, but the defending it, the defending and the marking wasn't bad. It was just non-existent. Like, he had all the time and space in the world to get up and, and direct the header. header. Um, but, I mean, speaking of Luton, I mean... They showed glimpses of, of of what they're capable of so far. Um, they have had some good passages of play. They have scored some nice goals, but I mean, for me, they've they've done little to to convince me that they're good enough to stay in this league. And again, the scoreline at two one, it, it doesn't sound like a bad scoreline at all. But when you kind of look at the context of it, they scored virtually the last kick of the game and. You know, West Ham from minute one to the last kick of the ball, they were in. The result was never in doubt. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, it it wasn't. Luton were never out of the game. But yet, at the same time, strangely, they it didn't. It didn't look like they was gonna get back into the game. If that makes sense, it didn't look like they were gonna get anything. And you know, go back to last week against Chelsea. They, I don't think they played badly against Chelsea. But they just, they weren't good enough. And like I said, they had some good passages of play. They had a, uh, some good some good moves. I thought from a set piece, actually, point of view on Friday, they, they showed threat. 
Giles was good putting in the crosses, but again, they just, much like the past few weeks, they just haven't done enough to convince me that that they can stay in this league. And if I'm if I'm being honest, I, I I'll be surprised when they win a match. And again, I'm I'm looking at the teams in the league, especially you know the teams that are going to be flirting with relegation, and I don't really see where they can win a game. But but yeah, so. Much, much work to do for Luton and West Ham will go into the international break feeling feeling really good. Sticking with the London theme now, uh, Spurs beat Burnley 5-2 and yeah, look, it was a game that I expected them to win. Uh, but at the moment, it's the way they're winning winning football matches, which is so impressive for me. I thought Sun was unplayable this week and I'd say that, you know, he's the main man for Spurs now that Kane has departed. But last week, Madison was brilliant. Much like uh, this week as well. And Doogie, he was brilliant. He's been fantastic. Really surprised me. Um, and and a lot of us, me included, by the way, you know, we all thought the Spurs would really decline and really, really, really struggle um, after losing Kane. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry about my voice today, guys. It's a little bit, I'm a little bit, not phlegmy, that's a horrible word, but you know what I mean. I'm a little bit there. So I do apologise. Um <laughs> But yeah, a lot of us thought that Spurs would really struggle. <clears throat> but I thought since the start of the season, they've they've looked really fluid. And I think one of the big things for them is not everything's going through Kane. And yes, you know, it's, it's great to have a, a talisman, so to speak, a player that you can rely on. But, you know, they different players are popping up and it just allows them so much more flexibility. And I'm really surprised because... Before, when, you know, say Kane would drop deep a lot. When Kane would drop deep, there'd be no one in front of him to, you know, make those intelligent runs or or get the ball in the back of the net. But if it's not Son coming out wide, it's Madison penetrating through the middle. It's the defence getting forward, you know. So the goals are really spread out. <laughs> Everyone's actually scoring except for Richardson, really. Even the defence and the defensive midfields. But um, it's looking like a new Spurs. It really is. And there's always been this narrative with Spurs, a narrative that Spurs fans know all too well. And a very, very, very dear friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends, you know who you are, Mr. Kamal. Uh, he likes to tell me uh, Spurs build you up just to let you down. And, and I get it. For years, you know, they've been close to doing something Spurs or they've nearly won something. You think back to uh, the title race against Leicester that ultimately they came third. Uh, the cup final against City, uh, where they sacked Jose Mourinho, I think it was something like 48 hours or 72 hours before the match. Um, and then, you know, they've made a few quarterfinal and semi-final appearances in the Cups, and then obviously that Champions League final against Liverpool. And, and look, I'm not suggesting that Spurs are going to start winning loads of trophies. I'm not saying they can't, but I, I, I don't think it will happen just yet. But the early signs are are definitely there, and... You know, they've played Man United and they played really well. They were good for the win. But I think it's for me, it's when they come up against, you know, teams like Liverpool, Arsenal and City um, is when we're really going to see what, what Spurs are made of. And another team, much like West Ham, they were going into the international break and they'll be feeling really, really good. And Angeball seems to be in full effect. And it's brilliant to watch. Like, recently, you know, Conte, as a Chelsea fan, I know all about Conte's... Conte's style of play and yeah it does get results unfortunately for him and Spurs it didn't get results at Spurs but it's not great to watch and you know as a Chelsea fan I've also seen you know Jose Mourinho as well and football wasn't great to watch but it got results and you know that's what football is it's a results based sport but unfortunately even Mourinho at his time at Spurs the the football hasn't been great for Spurs fans recently to watch and it's all well and good when you're getting the results. But again, with respect, they've, they've won nothing. So it's nice to actually watch a Spurs team that are free-flowing, that are bright. And they, they don't seem to be able to just win in one way. They can, they can soak up pressure really well and hit you on the counter with really good fluid passing. Fulcular Sefti as well, he's been really good this season. But then on the flip side of that, also, they can sustained high uh, high amounts of possession and, and really press you and and really pull the strings and I think Madison has been has been really key in doing that and I was watching a lot of 
because I, I was interested in Spurs, if I'm honest with you, over the summer. I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know much about Postacoglu uh, before coming to Spurs. I'm aware that um, he'd done some great things at Celtic, but I was really interested in the setup, and especially with Harry Kane leaving him. A lot of people were saying, a lot of Spurs fans actually were saying that ever since Ericsson had left, they haven't really replaced him. And and it's true, they haven't really had a, a creative midfielder since Ericsson left all those years ago. And, and Madison really seems to be filling that void. And, and it's great to see someone like Madison do well. And maybe this can catapult him into, into some good performances under Gareth Southgate in the England setup. Uh, but yeah. Spurs fans really, they probably don't want the international break, if I'm being honest, because, you know, they're on really good form. The momentum is high. Um, to my knowledge, they don't have any injuries as well. So they'll be wanting to, to carry on where they left off after the international break. And Burnley, I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really tough to judge Burnley. You know, they've, they've played Man City, and then they've played Villa, and then they've played Spurs. Obviously, that uh, game against Luton was postponed earlier on a few weeks ago. And and it's tough to judge them against teams like this because, you know, no disrespect, I know supremely anyone can beat anyone and everyone does, in fact, beat everyone. But those are games that you you don't really expect them to get anything from. I mean, maybe a point at Villa, maybe, but I think, I'm not saying they're going to be happy with zero points from three games, but I, I don't really know what what else they would have expected. So I think, again, the international break will do them good. It will take some of the pressure off losing three on the bounce. They've conceded a lot of goals as well. I think that's a main worry. Five against Spurs, three against Villa, and three against City, and only scoring three in those matches. Um, you know, that's, that's average. That's four goals a game they're conceding, and they're only scoring one. But I think after the international break, obviously... The pressure will be on them to start getting points on the board because, you know, by the time the international break does come back, you know, if if they don't if they don't win their next one or two games, after being back, you're going to be looking at you know October and, and they haven't got any points on the board. And I spoke a lot in the past few weeks about Luton and Sheffield United and Everton and Burnley. I, I don't think I get. I wouldn't say I've given them a, th- a free pass, but I think. I haven't been as hard on them because of just the teams they're playing, but you know, you've got to play everyone twice at some point during the season anyway. So, you know, it all evens out. But I think I think when Burnley do start playing again, no disrespect, when they start playing lesser teams, so to speak, on paper, I do think they'll start churning out results. And I, I do think I think they have enough to stay up. I they haven't shown much, but like I said, it's really, really tough to judge them against Against some of these sides, like, you know, City, obviously the best team in the country, if not the world. Um, Villa, they look a different side now of Unai Emery. We'll be speaking about them later on as well. And obviously Spurs, they've got that new manager bounce. And, you know, I spoke earlier about Ange Boyd's is phenomenal. So it is tough to, to judge them on those results on the teams that they've played. But, you know, there is no excuses. They do need to start getting some points on the board after the international break. Now, on to the other end of the table. Everson drew 2-2 with Sheffield United. And both uh, both teams came into the game in awful form, losing all the first three fixtures and zero points on the board between them. And unfortunately, in my opinion, a, a point doesn't really do much for either of them going into the international break. And, you know, much like the teams I spoke about earlier, Sheffield United, they just they haven't done much if if anything, to really show us that they can stay in this division. And, again, like, I worry for them. And, you know, any Sheffield United or Luton fans, do tweet me on Twitter at DYFPod and let me know why you think you can stay up this season if you think you will stay up this season. Maybe you can maybe you can change my perspective. I thought the Pickford own goal was really, really unfortunate for Everton, but he did pull off some amazing saves for Everton. And ultimately, you know, speaking of goals, well, Lack of goals, stopping goals. I think that's going to be both sides' biggest downfall this season. Everton, you know, we we spoke about them recently about their inability to score, and again, they just it's really tough. Like I'm, I'm looking at Sheffield United and Everton and Luton, and I I just don't see anyone worse than them. And I say the same thing nearly every week. I think maybe if Everton and Wolves don't start getting points on the board. Could definitely start adding them 
in that conversation. I don't quite think Wolves and Burnley are as bad as Luton, Sheffield United and Everton, but it could certainly be close. And I actually think that, in my opinion, the only way that Everton can stay up in this league is if those other two teams, Wolves or Burnley, are worse than them because I don't think they're going to stay up purely for playing well or getting results. I just think it's going to be due to lack of results elsewhere, if that makes sense. Um, it's, just, it's really tough for them. And Everton also, they, they've lost a Wobi. And I didn't really understand that outgoing from their point of view. I thought he's been he's been really good since his introduction into the centre of the park. I thought he's been decent, but it is a strange one. But apparently he only had 10 months left on his contract and he didn't want to renew. And, you know, I don't blame him because... Who knows where Everton are going to be next season. So I suppose they had little little choice other than just to let him go to Fulham. But it's more misery for both teams and they're still chasing their first win. And much like Burnley, if, if they don't start picking up points, it could be sitting there in October and without a win. And, and that's not good. And Everton have... I don't want to speak about Everton if I'm being honest because I feel like I've been really harsh on them really uh, recently. But... You know, you have to say it like it is. And I just really didn't expect this. I really expected them to right the wrongs of last season and, you know, prove that they they, they do deserve to, to be in this league because, you know, that they're a big club. But it's more misery for them, unfortunately. Now, a team that, well, probably doesn't even know the, the word misery anymore. It's not, it's not in their vocabulary. Man City, it's another win for them, and another hat-trick for Erling Haaland. That's six in sky blue for him now, and he's already halfway to Aguero's record of 12. He's got more hatchets than Son and Salah, and he's level with Suarez as well. And see, once again, as water is wet, grass is green, and the sun rises in the morning, were brilliant. And they were clinical. Seven shots, five on target, and five goals. And I've spoken already about Chelsea's lack of goals and Everton's inability to score goals as well, and... Goals are certainly not a problem for City, despite the absence of KDB. And, you know, you sit there and, and you think back to last year and they had a bit of a underwhelming start by their standards. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, an underwhelming, um, underwhelming by their standards is <laughs> probably sensational by anyone else's standards. But, you know, they won seven from ten last year, losing one and drawing two. And they don't really look like they're they're going to drop any points and so far and last year they didn't really get going until until after the World Cup around around January they I remember on I believe it was New Year's Eve or New Year's Day I, I can't quite remember um, exactly but they, they dropped points at Everton and despite all of that they, they still won the league by five points last year and it seems like already they're just steamrolling their way to three points week after week and look there's no doubt that eventually they're that they're, they're going to drop points and they will lose a game as well. They might even lose, you know, one or two on the bounce. But it's a case of when for me. And if they continue like this and, you know, I spoke about Arsenal, you know, being great in the past few weeks and we'll come on to the Arsenal-Man United game later on. I have spoke about Spurs playing some great football and I'm going to go on to Liverpool in a bit. And I thought they, they've made a real improvement as the season's gone on. They've looked better and better. But... These teams, you know, they, we've all lost ground on Man City. They're the only team to win all their games so far. And you just wonder when, when they do start to drop points, because it's, it's not a case of if, you know, it doesn't matter what players you've got, or what manager you've got, or who you play. At some point, you're, you're going to drop points. It is, it's just the way it is. Um, but it's when they drop points, is it even going to matter? Because if, if they continue this, this form and, you know, they, say they win another four games... And in those four games, you know, teams around, I think West Ham is, I think, no, I think Spurs might be second on goal defence. I should, probably should have shut the table before I start recording this episode, but they're all at the same points anyway. Spurs, West Ham and Liverpool. You know, say if City win the next four or five games, which I think they're very capable of doing, and then the teams around them drop another few points and that gap starts to get five or six points. When they do eventually lose a game or even just draw a game, the gap's still going to be four points. So uh, it's crazy to sit there and think already, is it too late? Because it's definitely not, because there's only been four games. But you, you, you look at the teams in the league at the moment and, and who's really going to lay a glove on them? I think, you know, I, I don't think Arsenal beat them. I think 
they've looked very shaky in the past few weeks and I thought they were a little bit lucky to to come away with a win this week. Um, Spurs, I think Spurs, I think if anything, the three teams that could really cause City problems are probably West Ham, Spurs and Liverpool. But even then, I still think City would prey on that vulnerability that Liverpool have at the back. And I mean West Ham. I think they. I think they. I think we know what West Ham's game plan would be against them. They just you know sit back on the counter, soak pressure, look for an out ball to someone like an Antonio or a ball over the top to Bowen or something like that, and nick it on the counter. And Spurs. I mean, I reckon they would go toe to toe with City. But whether or not you can even go toe to toe to toe with City is up for debate. So look, they will drop points, obviously, but. It, it's just a case of when for me. And I think... And I think back to the last season, like I said, they had a really slow start. Bernardo Silva playing at left wing back. And Pep was kind of tinkering around with the team. But from minute one of the first game, they've been so focused. They've been so sharpened. Other than maybe a, a few minutes spell against Sheffield United, they've just looked, looked untouchable. I think Fulham as well... I don't. I don't think they're in trouble, but I. I think it's going to be tough for them this season. Obviously, losing Mitrovic as well. He's got a great goal actually in the, in the uh, Saudi Arabia. I don't think it was the Saudi Arabian Cup or the or the league campaign. I'm not too sure. Um, for for his new side, but yeah, I I, I worry about where goals are going to come from for them now. If I'm being honest, and I think potentially we could see a little bit of a decline now when you compare it to last season, which is surprising because I thought. I thought much like, you know, Brighton and Villa and Newcastle, they try and build and kind of establish themselves in that top, in that top kind of seven and eight. But we'll have to see what, what Fulham can do without Mitrovic and, you know, who's going to beat City. So now I want to talk about a result that did surprise me, not because of the result itself, actually, but the manner of which uh, the game was won by Brighton. Uh, Brighton, look, they were everything I expected. Quick, bright, energetic, playing great football. But Newcastle, they, they struggle to deal with them and they're, they're defending. It was out of character, if you ask me. Last season, they were really, really good at the back. But it was really, really... I, w- I was surprised, if I'm being honest. They're the first guy, it wasn't great by Pope. He put his team under pressure. And uh, the reaction to the save, it was just... Everyone was like a statue. Ferguson was so quick onto it. And the initial clearance that... Um, that led up to the goal. He ended up at Billy Gilmore's feet. It was such a weak clearance. And, you know, they've got to do much better Newcastle from a defensive point of view. And for their second goal, it wasn't much better. No one closed Ferguson down in the midfield and the defence just backed off. And, you know, Brighton is so hard to play, but Newcastle, they, they made it really easy for them. And if I'm being honest, Eddie, Eddie Howe's side, they're, they're much better than that. I, I, ex- I really expected more, but, you know, Brighton will feel good going into the international break, and Newcastle now they've. It's, it's, it's too early to start making these accusations. Oh, they can't. They won't be able to get the heights of last season. They can't do this, this will happen, blah blah blah. But you can only judge on what you've seen. I know it's a long, it's a long season. The Premier League is a marathon. It's not a sprint. But you can only go on, on what you've seen, and they've looked a little bit shaky. If I'm being honest, Newcastle. So, I think I think it'll be a mixed mixed bag for them going into the international break, and they'll you know they they have had a a tough start to the season. You know, having to play City, having to play Liverpool and Brighton, uh, playing Aston Villa as well. They they are tough games. Don't get me wrong, and it's kind of similar to Burnley. I mean, not that they're gonna finish anywhere near each other. Come May, Burnley and Newcastle, but similar to Burnley, they have had a tough start, and after the international break fixtures they look a little bit better for Newcastle so I'm sure they'll they'll find some form but I, th- I think that's been the main thing actually they were very consistent last season and as I've just said it's been a bit of a mixed bag for Newcastle so far and Eddie Howe's side they really need to find some some consistency I think they will you know you look at their squad yes Pope didn't have his best game but he's still brilliant you know players like Trippier, Botman, Shaw. Uh, obviously in midfield, Bruno G and Joe Linton, Anthony Gordon up there with Callum Wilson who come on to score a goal as well and Isaac, Harvey Barnes. They've got the players to do it. Um, but I just think it's consistency for them as well and they've got a really, really tough group uh, in the Champions League as well. So 
going to be an interesting couple of couple of months now for this Newcastle side. Now, a game that I thought was, as they say, odd as evens. Uh, Brentford and Bournemouth drew 2-2. Brentford rescued a point with Mbemu equalising in the 92nd minute. And I thought after going 1-0 up early that Brentford would really would really get a, a good foothold on the game, start turning the screw, get a second, maybe even get a third and really create some daylight between the sides. But clearly Bournemouth did not read the script and it was looking like they were good for all three points. But... I think I think looking back at the game, a draw was fair. I thought actually both teams probably come away from the from the match thinking they could have won it, and I think both created um, both created enough to warrant the three points. But it didn't happen. On another day, we probably could have and would have seen a winner. But this week, odd is even. But I think again, Brentford's been a little bit of a mixed bag. They have played some really good football, though. Um, obviously. They've been much better than I thought without Tony. I've spoke a lot um, in past weeks about Wissa and Embraimu, but even um, Rico Henry as well. I thought he's been really good, really, really good for them. But um, yeah, a little bit of a, I don't want to say a, a, a negative and say it wasn't a great performance because I actually don't think either team dropped two points. You know, it feels like a point gained, if you ask me, because I thought they both played well. They both could have won it, but I think a draw was a fair result. And I'm sure they'll also be happy that the, uh, the international break is here. Chance to regroup, come back stronger and, and refocus once again. We've spoken about the blue side of Merseyside and in quite a negative light over the past few weeks. So, I, <laughs> Everton fans, I do apologise, it's not personal, but over to the red side of Merseyside now. And much like Brighton, I did expect Liverpool to win, but it was the way in which they beat Villa that I was so, not surprised, but I was so impressed with. They absolutely dominated Unai Emery's side and I expected a real tactical battle between Klopp and Emery, but Liverpool, much like last week, they showed their calibre of class. I mean... I thought they managed the game really, really well. Uh, they dictated the tempo and they, they deserve to be where they are in the league. Uh, you know, it's three wins out of four now and regardless of how things go this season, Klopp is, Klopp is obviously safe yeah, in terms of job security, but he and the players will know that they can't have a repeat of last season. You know, since, since Klopp took over, he's really raised the already high standards for Liverpool and after last season, there were serious question marks over them, but... I think they're proving that that was wrong so far. I, I didn't think they had a good game against us uh, opening game uh, a few weeks ago, but since then they've they seem to actually get better and better. Um, I thought last week against Newcastle they showed phenomenal character with ten men as well, by the way. And this week they were they absolutely steamrolled Villa, um, and a, a lot of people were kind of dismissing Liverpool. Uh, in the summer and that, and I put them second in my prediction, and and I was under the impression that that they were really going to do some some good stuff this season. I think you, the Europa League will not cause them to decline or anything, but I think it will be a a spanner in the works. You know, it's tough to play on Thursday and then have to go and play Sunday and whatnot. Um, it's definitely easier to to play on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in the Champions League, but. I think they'll quite well. The squad is good enough. I still think they're a, they need a little bit more firepower at the back in terms of the, the DM role. Um, I thought in terms of defence, actually, they've done really well without without Van Dijk. And I, I did kind of, not fear for them, but I thought Villa would be able to get at them, if I'm being honest. You know, Trent had a... Arguably, not his worst game, but it, it was really, really bad performance last week against Newcastle in terms of uh, defence for him. And I thought that, you know, the RB down that side would have really caused problems, but the Villa was just nullified, really. And I I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know any Villa fans personally. I don't know if you guys would have expected to to beat Liverpool, but I mean, I with respect, I didn't expect Villa to get anything from that match, but I didn't think that Liverpool would have it all their own way, but but they did have it all their own way, you know, and, and credit to them. Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp, again, his standards are so high and the standards he sets, the players, and like I said just now, the players will know that last season was not good enough and they really do need to step it up and they're looking better and better each week. Back in London now, South London, Crystal Palace beat a struggling Wolves side this weekend. 
And the star of the show for me was Eze and Edouard. I thought they were fantastic in terms of the chances. Uh, they dominated Wolves as well. After going 1-0 down, Wolves, they did respond well. It was a good goal, I thought, actually, from a set piece. Uh, but defensively, they looked really shaky, if I'm being really honest. Um, and it was, again, a, a great piece of um, play by Palace. A great bit of control by Eze to put Palace 2-1 up. And a very, very acute move for their third goal. And... People say about Palace, so not boring, and I'm guilty of this as well, but kind of dis- just disregard them, really. They're a team that are never really anywhere near relegation. You, you know they're not going to go down, but they're a team that, you know, no disrespect, they're, they're well away from challenging for Europe, you know, but, but they do play some fantastic football at times. And, you know, I don't want to speak about Zaha every week because, you know, he doesn't play for Palace anymore, but losing Zaha... Looking like a blessing in disguise, much like um, West Ham losing Rice and um, Spurs losing Harry Kane. They they seem to play better when things are not just, uh, not isolated, but when things aren't concentrated on that one player. Like I said, players like Eze, players like Edouard, even Mitchell as well. It was a great assist for, I believe it was the first goal as well. All playing really well. And like I said, Palace, they do play some really good football at times. And I think if they can just get a a bit more consistency and get a little bit more depth and maybe add one or two really good, key, important players. I, I think they could definitely, you know, be up there in terms of like what Brian are doing and what Villa are doing, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens with them. As far as Wolves, I mean, I, I feared for them at the start of the season. And as I've said, I think it will be out of themselves, Everton and Burnley for that last relegation spot to be in a championship uh, next season and I think it will just come down to again I'm sorry for the language but out of those three teams I just think it will come down to who's the most shit out of all of them because I think again that they've all they've all just looked really really poor at times I thought Wolves they had a good start to the season if I'm being honest I thought at Man United they played really well but and, you know, and, and I know they beat Everton, but since then, you, you expect them to beat Everton. That's, that's the game they should be winning. But I do fear for Wolves. And again, I think goals are going to be a problem for them. And they don't look assured at the back, uh, at the back at all, if I'm being honest. Now, I've kept this match till last on purpose. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to keep the suspense. Uh, this will be the topic of the footballing world this week. And, you know, I always say that every match is a big one in the Premier League. But there's very, very few matches that are bigger than Arsenal versus Manchester United. Both teams came into the weekend in relatively good form, I'd say, despite looking a little bit suspect at times. I was looking for big performances from Rashford and Fernandes. Rashford off the left, he was obviously uh, a big positive for them. He's obviously more effective on off the left as opposed to through the middle. And he took his goal well. And... You know, it was instant response from Arsenal, which cancelled it out. And it was a good, good goal. Very good goal. Um, I thought Arsenal, they had their chances. And I think in general, the United defending, it was, it was all right. But for the goals, it was, it was really poor. I mean, the defending for the equaliser, the first goal, no one's anywhere near Odegaard. And you can't give players like that time and space in and around you know, your defensive third because you're just going to concede goals and Odegaard, again, he was really, really good, I thought, on Sunday. Uh, the marking for the second goal as well, it, it was embarrassing. I mean, Declan Rice took a touch and not a great one at that, to be honest. And he kind of, I don't think he slipped. He kind of lost his balance. I want to call it a slip, but he lost his balance, reset himself and he still had time to, to, to have a shot. There was no one near him in the box and... You, you can't be that slow to react, especially against a team like Arsenal. And yes, the deflection was very, very unlucky. But when you give someone that much time in the box, th- there's always a danger. I think looking back on it, it's, it's very soft. And I don't want to be biased being a Chelsea fan, but Gabriel, he, he seems to be holding, I think it was Johnny Evans a little bit. But even the, you've got to be stronger than that. You know, you have to. You have to be switched on and... It just wasn't good enough. It was nice to see uh, Gabriel get get his goal. You know, he's had a bit of a, not a torrid time at Arsenal, but injuries have definitely hindered him. And then Gabriel has used as a player that I think is really good and I really like him. Um, so, yeah, it was good to see him get a goal. I thought the 
I thought the third goal, it, it wasn't really bad defending, but, you know, United were 2-1 down, closing stages of the match. Everyone was pushing up, and if if I'm being honest, it doesn't really make a difference if you lose 2-1 or 3-1. So trying to get that goal and rescue a point, it, you know, it did make sense. Um, it looked like they were going to get all three points. Um, but once again, enter VAR. I thought the decision to disallow Garnacho's goal... Like it did cause a bit of controversy. Um, Eric Ten Hag said he didn't think it was offside. I actually thought the the IQ was really good by Gabriel. If you if you watch it back, he's running back and just before the pass is played, he kind of like not trips over himself, but he kind of stutters and stops. And you know to play Garnacho offside, I have had a look at it a lot of times. I was actually looking at at it a lot last night. I think I spent a good ten minutes trying to get different screenshots watching the actual uh the game back like in slow motion and, and and whatnot and really trying to see where they drew the lines from i did think the angle that we were shown on on tv on, on the highlights was i don't want to say it's a wrong angle but it, it didn't look it, it, it i don't know it to, i'm gonna be honest to me it it, it didn't look offside i, I can't side personally i, I, I can't it's, it's, it's absolute you know, minor, minor. It's such a small margin. But, you know, you get these VR, VAR decisions against you sometimes and, and it hurts, it's tough to take, but sometimes, you know, you get them in your favour. And I think certainly, obviously I'm not a Man United fan, so I can't speak for United fans, but if that was my team, I think I'm looking at it. It's quite kind of similar to the, um, the Chilwell offside goal, um, against Liverpool a few weeks ago. It was... I thought, I thought, I thought the Garnaccio one was a, a lot more uh, minuscule in terms of the, the margin. But it's kind of one you're looking at it. If it stands, you're kind of like, oh, we got a bit lucky there. We might have got the benefit of the doubt. But if it goes against you, you're absolutely raging. Um, I thought United's injuries, they were definitely a factor this week. Having Varane and Shaw both miss out. And even Malasia. He's injured, so Dallo had to fill in at left back. And I actually thought, um, I actually thought he played really well. I think he was one of their best players, uh, if I'm being honest. But speaking of the defense, to end the game, United with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans at centre back. I mean, Johnny Evans is like what thirty seven or something, and Maguire, Eric Ten Hag doesn't even want him. And the only reason he's not there is because he refused to go because no one will pay his wages. And to end the game with those two at centre back is. It's just not something you want to see if you're a United fan. I thought Bruno, he was quiet. I said about I was looking for big performances from big players like Rashford and Bruno. And I've said it before and, and I'll say it again. United tend to play well when Bruno plays well. And he, he was far from his best today. I thought Martial was very, very un, uninspiring again. You know, how he started for Man United in 2023 is beyond me. I thought when Hoyland came on, I thought he did okay. His hold-up play was really good. He's a very strong athletic player. I don't want to compare him to Haaland because, obviously, it's very different and it's very easy to compare them. Um, There are similarities there, but I think he will be a real force given the time, and I'm sure he will adapt to the Premier League. I thought, actually, United could have, could have had a penalty. You've seen him given, but... But yeah, I thought Arsenal will be very happy with the result. Obviously, they weren't at their best uh, again this week, if I'm being honest. But they got the three points, which is what really matters. And Rice was the standout for me. Um, he played really, really well, obviously, getting the goal. And again, it's, it's, it's nice. I spoke about James Madison earlier. It's nice to see these English English players doing well for, uh, for their clubs. They're big clubs as well, you know. There'll be a lot of pressure on Declan Rice and Madison this season. No disrespect to West Ham. They're absolutely flying uh, this season, and no disrespect for Celeste, obviously winning the league in the FA Cup a few years ago, but the the standard from a Leicester, or West Ham, all the way to an Arsenal is the gap is so big, and then you know that gap to Spurs is also massive as well, and they're absolutely flourishing at the new clubs, and it's really nice to see. Um, I also thought Odegaard again, really well taken goal, really really good response. That was important. I think I spoke last week about Arsenal how they face adversity and. They faced it really well in this match. You know, they went 1-0 down. And you're thinking, well, they've got one goal. Can Man United just, just play the same way and continue and hit them on the counter? And it was Arsenal's turn to then take the game to them. And 
I was kind of thinking at 1-0, well, soon as well, I didn't, have, I didn't have much time to think at 1-0. I think it was 37 seconds between both the goals. But as they got 1-0, I thought, well, now, now they can sit back, hit him on the counter. But Arsenal didn't let them because, like I said, they scored within a minute. Um, but yeah, Odegaard was really well, uh, played really, really well. And I thought in general, Arsenal's attack was, I don't think they played bad. Um, but again, it was a little bit quiet, if I'm being honest. Um, I thought Martinelli was good, though, to be fair. Sacco, look, I'm not saying the Arsenal attackers had a bad game. I just think it was from an out point, uh, sorry, from an output point of view, if, if, if that makes sense. But obviously, it's going to be harder to score against United than, than the teams that they've played recently. Uh, but it did keep the United defence on their tyres. And that's now two wins and two losses for Man United. And I think they really need to find some form after the international break. Because otherwise, Champions League football will, will definitely be in doubt. And as far as Arsenal concerned, are concerned, sorry, it was an important win. It was important that they got the three points today after dropping points to Fulham last week. Um, and when they are back from the international break, they've they've got some really tough fixtures. So it was vital that they... That they that they're feeling good going into the international break, and hopefully for them they can, they can kick on once we're back for game week five. Onto this week's uh, fun fact. Uh, this weekend we saw Harland, Ferguson, and Hyunmin Son get hat tricks, and it's only the second time that three hat tricks have been scored in the same day uh, in Premier League history. So it was a weekend for hat tricks, and do you know what? It's nice to have that. It's nice that hat tricks are the talking point. I know we had a little bit of a VR, VAR discussion with the Arsenal-Man United game, but it just seems like week after week we're banging on about VAR and red cards and just, you know, the incompetency of referees and the officiating. So it's nice that this week it was about the goals and the hat-tricks. Well, that's it from me, guys. That is all from me this week. Sadly, I don't have any predictions for you today as next week is the international break. But don't worry, I do have an episode for you next week. Um, I wasn't sure whether not to do one, I'm going to be honest with you. Um... I don't want to just push out content for content's sake, but at the same time, you know, I've just started this podcast. It's a new podcast. I don't want to keep the ball rolling. Um, so, yeah, next week I will have an episode for you. I'll be talking about the England setup, and I'll also have those game week five predictions for you. Um, I'm not sure. It's probably not going to be on a Monday slash Tuesday next week. I'm going to be honest, but I will let you guys know. Uh, if you do want to find out exactly when we will be posting our next episode and all further episodes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at DYFFPod. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Make sure, rate the pod five stars on Spotify, follow us on Spotify, share with your friends, and don't forget, carry on the conversation on Twitter at DYFFPod. That's all from me this week, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you heard me. Until next week, I'll see you later.